Economic Update, presented by Global Wealth Club's Stephen Pettith and Edward Black. Uh, welcome to week 82 economic updates. Obviously, I'm Travis Carter, the host. We've got our special guest, as always, Steve, Stephen Petteth. Thank you for joining us for another awesome show. Uh, just for the people listening online, type a Y in the chat to make sure you can hear us in the spirit of Warren. Help if I actually have my chat up. <laughs> All right, fantastic. So, yes, we've got people here listening. Fantastic. Um Okay, so let's jump straight into it because we've got a lot on our plate today. I'm just going through the notes and there's some amazing things here. So let's start local and let's go with the Australian economy. So the first note, international students have had their hours cut to pre-COVID levels from what I've been reading, I think it's 24 hours per week that they're allowed to work. And my understanding, it still has to be in a regional area of WA and a lot of farmers are kicking up a stink over this. Yeah. Um, man, it's this is nuts. Um, at the moment, um, international students are soaking up uh, some of the, the shortfall that we've got in the workforce, especially in the lower skill, you know, cafes, restaurants, packing, you know, just general hands and gardening and all that sort of stuff. Um, so they're going to reduce their hours back to pre-COVID levels, which is, well, I think you said 23 hours. Yeah, it's 20 or 23 hours. Anyway, it's... It's, it's bugger all, right? We need every single available person with a, the, the maximum amount of hours that they can get in the workforce and the government's doing stupid things like this. Um, once again, it's just making Australia more uncompetitive with the international student market. So if you're an international student and you can go to Canada or the US and work pretty much unlimited hours, right, and you come here and you can only work 20 hours, well, I think I know where I'm going to go. Plus, it's you know five hundred bucks to get a visa for here, and it's fifty bucks. Or I think Canada now is like ten bucks um, to get a visa. So where are you going to go? You're going to go somewhere else. Um, this is just stupid. It really is. We rely on international students to fill um, vacancies um, that we have in, in our casual employment. Who's going to do Uber Eats? Right? Yeah. Who's going to work in the Seven Elevens? Who's going to work in, in in any of those sort of jobs? If you go to those go to those jobs, they're international students hmm. predominantly. So, you know, it, it's just another thing where where the, this country is just absolutely going backwards. It's doing the wrong things. And and there was a commentator um, said, when I've been driving around, I've, I've been putting the um, the talkback radios on. And uh, one of the talkback radios said, um, I can't remember who it was, basically just come out and said, there is nothing, um, Albanese is leaving nothing to the imagination now that, that he is not a Marxist. Mm. Uh, and, and I thought, man, that's pretty spot on. Everything that he is doing um, is to, along his ideals. And at the end of the day, you can't blame him because... He's always warned that he's a socialist, he's a Marxist, you know, on his sleeve and, and gone out and done it. We elected him. The people of Australia elected him. So obviously that's what they want. And, and now they've got all these problems because they elected him. 
The, the bit I find fascinating with what you've just said there, I've actually read the start of the La- National Labor Party's constitution. Section 4 actually states, the Labor Party of Australia is a democratic socialist party with the goal of bringing socialism to Australia. All, so, all, Labor, pa- all Labor parties in the world have the same thing. And that, mm. that line you just read is pretty much the aim and objective of the Fabian Society. And the Fabian Society is all part of the, the Labor and the, and the union movement and all the socialist movement, which is, which is pretty much what they are. Get, yeah. Have a look at the Democrats in the US. You'll see the same statement in, in their, their bylaws. The, the Labor Party in Scotland, the Labor Party in the UK, um, the, the, um, the centre-left parties, um, and, and there is the, they call them Democratic Union parties, like in Germany and France and Italy. But it, they're the Labor parties. Any of the union-backed parties are all the same. They all have communism and socialism at heart. So, so one thing I found interesting with what you were just saying about the farmers as well, and I hate to say that the ABC did a good news article, but they actually did a pretty good one. They were talking about uh, student accommodation as well. So just going back, why would students come to Australia to help out these small businesses that really need their labour? Between the three of them, they were renting a uh, apartment that had like bunk beds in it. So yeah. three girls were hiring a studio apartment for $1,000 a week. And I, yeah. I just find that absolutely amazing. Like obviously it's Sydney, but like how, how's a student on 20, 20, 20 to 24 hours, how are they ever going to afford that? And then how are the work, like the businesses ever going to find workers to fill that those positions? They're not. It, it just nothing... The, the numbers no longer add up. Right? There, 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 is, there is nothing now um, to say that, that all this adds up. It just does. I had a meeting today with a couple of people here um, and they, they, were, they were just saying that they can't get workers and they used to rely on international students. This is professional services firms. So they used to rely on the international students doing accounting law, um, business, uh, all that sort of stuff, to come in and do part time to get some experience in those those things. Then they're not here. They are not here. And that's the other thing. They're the migrants that we want in Australia, especially the skilled migrants, because they can help in other industries. They can fill in any foreshores as well. So I, I just don't get it personally. Um, do you think there is a way to fix this without getting rid of labour or do you think they might have a grand plan to fix the employment shortage? No. I can't see I can't see a fix. I can't even see a fix from the Conservative side, from the, the Lib Nat side. Um, and it, it, a lot of it comes down to a lot of these people... Um, haven't employed people themselves. They're, they've never been outside of the political class. They've never been outside of, of that whole uh, political movement since, you know, pre-university, university and the way they go. So they don't understand how an economy actually works or how a country should work. They, they've got great ideas and they've read great stuff in books or they've, they've philosophised with their, you know, beret-wearing, fucking tofu-eating, latte-sipping, 
socialist mates, right, um, around the around inner cities, you know, thinking that this is how our life should be, but they've got no idea. Hmm. Um, and that's the problem, and they're taking that with them um, into their ideals. So. Yeah, I love the fact that you said that they've got no idea. So just running with that as well, we're done. Move on to the next topic. The voice is losing support. Um, I just read a report today that uh, there was a polling of 10,000 people and 73% of them said that Labor and Anthony Albanese didn't give enough information. So people have no idea what they're voting for. Um <sighs> Not enough of what is and how it works has been is the main reason that's behind all of this. So, do you think it will get up in the end? No, hmm. um, I think it may get the so that my my position on the voice is I think it may get the popular vote because it's going to get a lot of people in inner city Melbourne, inner city Sydney, inner city Brisbane. You know the the intellectuals that think they're doing really really good for the country but they're not going to get the majority of states. And this is what, with a referendum, you need the majority of the people and the majority of the states, right? So I don't think they get WA or Queensland, or they may get, say, they may get Queensland, but they don't get WA in South Australia. Third, I think it's 38% of rural people are for this, right? And when you actually break that down, it's rural people that are on the fringes of, of the capital cities, right, that are for it. Pretty much once you get outside of that, it's like 90% of people aren't for it. Mm -hmm. um, it just really, once you get to where the communities are, and this takes in Aboriginal communities, mind you, mm -hmm. right? So Aboriginal communities are voting huge numbers, no, mm -hmm. right? Um, they, they'll be bribed and all that sort of stuff as they are every election um, to, to, to sway their vote. But I don't think it gets up. Um, and, and I hope it doesn't get up because this is, you know, what, what we're seeing now is nothing to, to be what it will be. Mm. Um, and uh, just have a look what's happening in New Zealand. Right? The, the New Zealand basically economy is grinding to a halt. Uh, Canada is in all sorts of mess um, because of all this, um, the racial divide. Now, on, on this, um, the US Supreme Court just ruled that the the woke um, First Nations Indigenous peoples led approach to recruitment for um, universities and all that sort of stuff. So the wokeism, the wokeism. What they're saying is anyone who believes in these divisive policies is racist. This is this is how the wording of the judgment is. It basically says. If you are putting woke policies, so Indigenous first, um, things like the voice, transgenderism, all this sort of stuff, if you're pushing this first, that equals racism because the underlying tone of all these policies is to divide people, right? And the, and the, the judgment said, and I think it was 6-3 um, hmm. that it got up, so it's a majority. So we're, we're talking Democrat people on the, on the US Supreme Court voted that this is racism. So what they said is anything that's woke is racism. Now, when you put that together, that is against the US Constitution because the US Constitution 
is very similar to ours. There is no race mentioned and all that sort of stuff in separation. It's all one. We are one, right? And um, even now, a national anthem now, I think, didn't they change it to we are one and free, not we are young and free? So I'm, I'm Australian, so I don't know my national anthem anyway. Yeah, me, me, me either. Uh, you, you do know how to how to te- how to tell a non-Australian, don't you, or an import Australian? Yeah, they know the national anthem. No, well, they well, know the it. Like my wife's from Vietnam; she knows the national anthem. I wouldn't have a clue. Like, no. Yeah, and, and they definitely know the second verse. But up until I was about thirty, I didn't realise there was a second verse. You know, um, so you, you know, you, you know, a, 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 um. Um, uh, my, my father used to always say, you, you know, an import from a local, you know, because the, the imports know the second verse to the, to the national anthem. Anyway, that's getting off topic. Um, but anyway, so so what we're starting to see now around, around the world is um, courts are now starting to say, well, hang on a minute. This, by forcing this stuff and trying to to marry it up with the constitution it's unconstitutional so mm. so and this is harvard i think it was was it harvard yale or harvard and anyway two two of the, the top five universities um in the u.s colleges in the u.s had this ruled against them that their entire admissions policy was unconstitutional and they had to scrap it now if this starts to get hold in other states around so it, so that was in New York it was in the federal and in New York um, and I think Connecticut as well so now this is going to start going further around the US by saying that you know this woke stuff is is unconstitutional we will see something here in the high court um, I have two I think the high court would actually vote it down. Um, and actually agree with the woke wokey idiots because I, I just don't think our high... I don't think we have a, a justice system in Australia now that is for the Constitution and for the people. Um, and, and that's really sad because Australia used to have a strong judiciary that was independent and it was constitutional-based. Now mm. it's not. The reason that I, that I think that... Albanese and his mob are pushing so hard to put this voice into the constitution is so that they can't be challenged in the high court. It's not that they can be, and they will be challenged in the high court on it, but if it's in the constitution, right, that Australia is a race-based society, which is what this will be, it'll be a divisive thing, that the high court will have to abide by a racist constitution so they'll have to make judgments for one race or another based on the constitution where at the moment if you took anything that's race-based to the high court the high court's got to be blind to race so that's that that is what i think the underlying push and why labor can't say what this thing will be is because they know that this thing is about enshrining a race-based constitution and a race-based political system and judicial system. We've already got a race-based 
uh, political system. But having a, a race-based judicial system, man, that's, that, that, that's terrifying. Even New Zealand hasn't got that far, right? They, they've got the, the Pact of Waitangi and it's a bit in their constitution, it's a bit of this, and they've got this treaty that they've had for 99 years or whatever it is, or 102 years or whatever it is. But it's not as bad as what... Um, of where Albanese, because there is nothing around it. Mm. Right? They can't say what it's going to do because everyone will run a mile and they'll lose this thing 90 zip. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's where we're at. Uh, the thing I find most alarming with this is we're taught from, as a kid, you can't be racist. You can't do this. You can't do that. You, you've got to treat everyone equally the way they treat themselves. But the thing is, we have a minister for Aboriginal affairs, but we don't have a minister for Asian affairs, African affairs, Kenyan affairs, anything else. We have a minister for women's affairs, but we've got nothing for men. Like the whole entire political structure is based around stereotypes, so gender, race, and all that other stuff. So I can't, like it, it dumbfounds me how the High Court can, first of all, allow these things to, to exist in the first place, but how can they even contemplate doing that in the first place. So because, it, I, I just find the whole lot dumbfounding, personally. And, and, and that's because our political and legal systems are actually working at the moment, mm. right? Because in the political world, you can pretty much do whatever you want, right? Um, and you, you can, and our political world has gone lefty, wokey, racist, and everything. Our judicial system isn't, mm. right? If, if, if something happens, they judge on it and they judge to it with the precedents and so forth. So at the moment, our, our legal system is weak. We haven't had enough cases go to the high court on transgenderism, on wokeism, on, on Aboriginal affairs and all this sort of stuff because a lot of the times it never gets there. Hmm. Right? They get settled out of court because they don't want it to get in there because they don't want the precedent set that it's wrong. All right, here's a curly question for you. This might be a Warren question, actually. Knowing that Australia is actually running off a Westminster system as well and we do have limited common law in Australia, now that the US High Court has made that ruling, can we use that as an argument in Australia now? Um, it can be taken into account, but it can't be used because there isn't a precedent already set. Okay. Right. So um, the, the, from my understanding, and I'm, I'm no uh, legal scholar, my understanding is they can take that information and use it, but they've got to take precedence first, and pretty much there isn't a lot of precedence in, in Australian. Uh, so when they form, basically what they'll be doing is forming a new precedent. Um, okay. And, um, yeah. It would be, and see, this is why, in a way, the, the US system, with it being so litigious, um, it forms a lot of this really quickly mm. and, and gets this out like uh, Roe v. Wade with it being overturned at a federal level when it should have been a state-based thing anyway. Mm. Right? And this is what a lot of the lefties also um, don't understand and don't want is countries like Australia... Canada, the US, um, New Zealand to some extent, we're actually federations. 
right? We're not like the UK that are constitutional monarchies. Even though they use the term that we're a constitutional monarchy, we're actually a constitutional federation. So it's a bit different. The states in Australia and the states in Canada and the states in the US have all the power. Same in Mm. Germany. The states in Germany have all the power because they're they're a federation, right? The states and the cantons in Switzerland have all the power. And it's like their their whole government is based on on, on states' rights. Um, That is what we lack here is our states with backbones. Where in the US, a lot of their states have backbones, right? And they get up and they make decisions and they they change things and that sort of stuff. So um, we're a little bit different to um, the UK, uh, but we, we've taken on a lot of their traditions and uh, and frameworks for our legal system. But under our under the way Australia was formed, we're a federation of states, and technically New Zealand should be part of our federation and WA not. Um, it was only at the 11th hour that one joined and the other one left and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could actually, um, it's a really interesting thing. When federation was being put together, um, Australia could have been uh, WA out, the East Coast, the centre and East Coast, New Zealand, Fiji, Vanuatu, Papua New Guinea, um, and I'm missing one more. Oh, there's something mm-hmm. modern Solomons. Um, and that would have been Australia. Would have been great for holidays. Fiji in there. Oh, it would have been great. Imagine Fiji and Vanuatu as, as Australian states. I'd be living there. Like, provided you we know, get the tax havens part on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, you, know, a, 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 you know, Fiji would have 10 million people. Easily. Yeah, you know, uh, because because most people would live there because it would be, you know, state of Australia. But that's that's how it could have been. And it was pretty much, you know, someone writing letters and and that and, and then they all, all went off. Um but uh, yeah, it could have been that. That's there. There is um, uh, some interesting stuff in the National Archives around, you know, letters sent to these colonies, um, as most of them were at that time, to to all join the the Federation of Australia. Yeah. All right. So moving on to the next topic, um, something that's been coming up in, especially in WA at the moment, with the Her- Aboriginal Heritage Act, uh, there seems to be like this war on farmers at the moment. So mm-hmm. WA, we've got the what is it, the Aboriginal Heritage Act 2021. Right. We've got the Native Lands Act that's coming through and then they're also pushing a ban on live exports a- again, even after the one that I think it was Kevin Rudd did it in 2007 Gillard. or 8. Gillard, was it? Um, just, again, another knee-jerk policy from Labor. Like, when do you think the government will stop attacking farms? Like, oh, man, I, I, wish, I wish it was 10 years ago. Um, uh, and and this is the other problem is uh, this is all state-based. So farming pretty much is a state-based thing, except the international exports. Um, the, the states is, is using a, a loophole, uh, a quarantine loophole to get around. Using biosecurity federal, Act. Yeah, Biosecurity Act to get around banning sheep exports and that. 
And it seems to be every other day we've got a war on farmers. Mm. We should be the largest, most productive farming nation on the planet, right? We've got water, we've got space, we've got um, ingenuity, we've got technology, we've got everything that, that should be being used. But the idiots in, you know, I, I believe, I reckon if you surveyed half the politicians and said, where does, where does your state come from that you get in your member's dining room, they'll probably say Coles, right? Because most of them wouldn't have a fucking clue. Um, oh. I reckon that's how clueless they are. Um, On, I think it was 6PR over in WA, they were talking about farming and this, this lady called up and said, why, I don't get why the farmers are so upset. Why don't they just go down Coles and buy their food? And that was actually on radio. Like, yep. Oh. I, I, I know. And, um, and, we're, and we're raising kids now that have no idea how food is, is produced. And then they go off on these stupid things about you're going to eat insects and insects and that sort of stuff. Well, the market has already said that they want, they want so McDonald's, McDonald's, Burger King, KFC in the US, all of them have dropped their um, plant-based meat alternatives because no one was buying the menu item. Hmm. At one stage, the menu item, I think they dropped the plant-based Big Mac in the US. It's normally four bucks or five bucks or whatever it is. They dropped it to like 50 cents and they still couldn't sell it. They were dumping the major supermarket, even here in Australia, the major supermarkets are dumping this plant-based meat in droves. The market has said they don't want it. They want, if you're going to have beef, have beef, right? And, um, uh, and, and we're doing everything we can to stop it. Like the, 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 this Native Lands Act, which means if you, you know, destroy 50 millimetres of the topsoil in WA, you've got to oh, go and get the report. Yeah, 50 centimetres. You've got to go and get, get a report and all that sort of stuff. Fuck, that's a post hole. Yeah. You know, it's, in some instances, it's tilling your soil, right? Even though, you know, if, you, if you're doing regenerative farming, you don't till anymore. But um, there, there is, um, you've got to remove trees. Yeah. How do you move rocks out of paddocks? Right, so you can you, you can uh, clear uh, paddocks for um, you know seeding and, and all that sort of stuff, growing growing broadacre crops. It, it's just absolutely stupidly mind boggling. Um, New South Wales government is doing these forced buybacks to put transmission lines right the, right through the middle of grazing country and 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 farming broadacre farming country that in some instances divides a, a, a paddock from being economical to being uneconomical. Mm. It, and, and they're not even negotiating with farmers to say, oh, okay, if we move the transmission, transmission line this way 200 metres, um, which wouldn't cost them anything to do because they've got to build it anyway, but all of a sudden the farmer has an economical paddock uh, and the transmission line still gets built, but no, no, they, 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 you know, the bureaucrats in in central bloody um, uh, Sydney and Melbourne and 
WA. Now, Queensland's also doing stupid stuff with water again and runoff into the Great Barrier Reef, which isn't a problem, right? and pesticides and all this sort of stuff that, once again, isn't a problem because a lot of the farmers have stopped using heavy pesticides, but they haven't changed the rules. They're making the rules worse. Uh, and it's just it's becoming this massive war. Where are we going to get food from? So Australia, the amount of food that we produce in this country, 85% or 90% of it's exported overseas. That's everything. So that's broadacre crops, that's um, vegetables, that's um, ocean um, produce, um, beef, dairy, you know, everything that... that we, we sell and produce here, we pretty much export. Now, other people around the world rely on that. So if we reduce our exports by half, the Australian population is still going to get their stuff, or otherwise there would be pitchforks in the street, right? But who overseas is missing out? There's some really interesting com comments coming through in the chat as well. So Susan uh, saying that the cattle prices in Queensland has dropped down to 10 cents a kilo. Uh, yep. So apparently near her area, 12, uh, two abattoirs have closed and the others yep. are saying that they've got no storage room left over. So people have openly said they want meat, they want real steaks, they want real lamb, they want real food. I, I just don't understand why they're pushing so hard for insects. Uh, that that one just blows my mind. Like, there's no way in hell I'd ever be eating it. So, oh, I don't mind the tarantulas in Vietnam and that. You yeah, know, I'll pass. You, get, you, you get the battered tarantula. Um, you do that once. Um, I remember the wife's Vietnamese. Like she tried to get me to eat the snails and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, no, nah, I'm out. Like, give me some real food any day. Oh, like, you, you, um, you don't like snails? No, have you done, no. Have you done the no. Soup, mate? No, it's just fancy boogers. No, thanks, I'll pass. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the one thing I found really fascinating, and I didn't get it. So before we left, the one got a whole heap of frozen steaks and she put them in a bag. The bag's dripping ice on the plane. I'm thinking, oh, my God, she's one of those people. Anyway, so we got there and her family went absolutely ballistic because it's Australian meat. If we're getting 10 cents a kilo for our beef in Australia, why the hell aren't we exporting to countries like in um, Vietnam, uh, Vietnam Prime One? Because they're just screaming for anything that's Australian. They are, uh, and they are. They are, but we've got bans on live export. Yeah, we've got rules on live export. So the problem with places like Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Indonesia, Philippines, China, uh, India. Um, uh, most of the Middle East, is they need live export because they don't have the cool room facilities. Correct. Right? The distribution networks. Hmm. Right? And a lot of the time is um, that there, there is just so much restrictions in place, which is, you know, people like, like Susan um, are pointing out that is driving the price down which makes it uneconomical to farm, which makes it uneconomical to run through an abattoir, which makes it uneconomical to do anything because you've only got limited markets to sell it to in box form. And so, and it's just, so here's, for instance, so there's cattle. Um, I'm part of a club. Um, what do we pay? I forget what it is. It's, it's a couple of hundred bucks 
um, to buy buy you you buy a you buy a beast and and um, and then it's raised and then uh, the guys actually got the the farmer that we deal with he's got direct connections in Singapore um, I think it's Singapore and Bangkok and so half the beast you can elect to have half the beast exported or the whole beast exported mm-hmm. and so this was something that um, my my parents had and, and I've just kept it going, but they export. So they, they go on export and, and the guy only runs four or 500 head at a time and all that sort of stuff. And it's, uh, I forget what, what, but it's not Wagyu. It's a different breed. Um, might be good. True. Um, and because he's got a direct relationship with these restaurants overseas, he he uh, he slaughters, he butchers to exactly what they want, mm. right? And sends it directly to the restaurants from his farm or from his processing. He, uh, he uses a mobile abattoir mm. system um, and then works with a local butcher um, who then gets rid of what they don't take, and and that works really really well. And he's doing well, and. It was only because he went that route that he stayed in business. He, he was, he, you know, he was before he started this. I think it was about ten years ago. Um, before he started this model, um, he, he was going to shut up shop and go and do something else. But this direct to farm, so so the consumer going direct to farm and restaurants going direct to farm. I think is a model that has to be explored a lot more for all our produce growers to get away from the Woolworths and Coles and, and the big food guys that keep hammering the price down right, um, and make themselves independent, profitable, uh, and, and be able to survive. That's the model I think will survive all this crap, this war on farmers, um, is is a direct to consumer model because the the large scale unless you're a Cargill mm. or a Tay Brothers or one of the real big big groups you're not going to survive um, you, because the bank debt that's going to be on your properties uh, the falling prices um, that you're going to get through sales um, is, is is ridiculous so I, I think what's going to happen is there'll be a lot of farmers through pain, and, and this is what happens through all sorts of pain. So from, from the pain will come some form of direct-to-consumer, direct-to-market opportunities. Now, it's not going to be easy. Mm. It's not going to happen overnight for a lot of people, uh, but it's, it's something that's going to happen. Um, and I think it is something that it's the only way. Now, the problem with that is um, it could lead to um, shortages again for the general pop, for the mainstream because what you're doing is you're taking supply out of the market and sending it somewhere else. Right, so the same as like, like the vegetable producers, the, the market garden guys uh, with their farmer's markets and that, you know, they're, they're, they're probably the first one to make the transition. Mm. I, was, I was just thinking like with the advances in one of the biggest problems I can see is a keeping track of where the orders are going 
making the contacts internationally with the um, restaurants, the consumers and stuff like that. With the advances that we've got going on in AI at the moment, being able to track the orders is going to become a hell of a lot easier, especially for farmers, if they can just plug into it and get something set up for them. I, I That's actually, <laughs> say, take some notes, this might be something worth looking at. Yeah, so so what I think, and I'm, um, I, I like to draw. So what, what, what I think is going to happen is we'll go back to um, uh, a, a proper capitalist co-op model, mm. right? Probably a, a co-op model is not a partnership model where you'll have a central body in the middle, right, mm. that is owned by all the farmers, but we're not talking about just a milk cooperative or a, or a farmers. We're, we're talking about it will be a, com, a, a community co-op that will be the fruit and vegetable grower, the honey producer, the beef producer, the dairy producer, excuse me, everything that's in that area that is produced Mm. in goods has a one central bucket that that has a marketing division, that has uh, an international trade division, that has all the skills required to Mm. allow the farmers to produce and and process and get that to where it's got to go, whether it's a local Mm. community, direct to farmer, you know, so um, there was something I saw the other day. Um, it was, what was it called? Um, I think it was called the Crazy Cow. Dis- uh, oh, it was the Crazy Cow. Cra- the cra- it was the Crazy Cow something. And when you read the, what he did on the back, hmm. it looked like he'd started off um, as as a butcher, but then he added home home because he was doing home deliveries, mm. right? So so now it was like get your quality meats, and then it was get your vegetables, get your soup stocks, get this, get that, get that. You know, order online here at the, at the crazy cow or whatever. I can't remember exactly. It was one of those things you see when you're driving along the road and you wish you had more time to to mm. read it. Uh, that is what I can see happening. Um, going forward, and that's that's what I think a good solution for these farmers is to to gain some sovereignty, to gain some um, financial independence uh, from around the um, the controls that they're under at the moment, because the marketing boards, from what I see, aren't doing them any good. Like the Dairy Board of Victoria and the the, the Cattlemen's Association in Queensland and the Grain Co-ops and they're, they're, they're the ones who are actually causing more pain for these guys than anything. So, I, I think it's time that people just st- stood up, started having those relationships with farmers again, going direct to the farmers and skipping all these middlemen out just to get things down again and start making the farms profitable again. I think that that's only, the only way that everyday citizens can start, actually start influencing this, these things. So if you guys are listening online and you do know your local farm or anything like that, just go direct to them. So one thing I do want, we do need to keep going. So you did touch on this one earlier about transmission lines. So New South Wales is doing the buyback of the transmission lines. Uh, yep. Indonesian PM visits Australia uh, and also meets with Albo to talks for closer relations. Yeah, I, look, I, I think this is good. I've been, 
I've been preaching Australia should be <laughs> my, my air conditioning is making all sorts of weird noises. Um, sorry for that. Um, I think we should have been doing stronger ties to Indonesia. Now, when I was young and at school, um, our school used to run Indonesian language courses as part of the mm -hmm. curriculum, right? Mm. So we're talking 80s and early, well, 80s. Mm. Yeah, 80s. Um, oh, no, no, it's definitely the 90s for you, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so and, and we started to have a really strong link with Indonesia, and then all of a sudden it just went pear shaped when Paul Keating got in and fucked everything. Um, and then from there, consecutive conservative and national governments didn't do any better either. Hmm. But we we should have always had a good focus on Indonesia. It's right there. It's two hundred million people on our doorstep, right? That need everything that we've got. Right. But because you get neocons in government that think that Indonesia is going to invade us, how the fuck they're going to invade us with two tin cans and a fucking whirly bird that doesn't fly, um, it, it, it's beyond me. I can always remember when I was in the Navy going to places like Surabaya, um, Yogyakarta and all these places and seeing the Indonesian Navy all tied up at wharf and then talking to the locals, right, and they say, oh, yeah, those ships never go anywhere. They don't mm. run, right? And, and it's like, wow, they've got a big Navy, but it never goes anywhere, right? Because they, they, it just doesn't run. And so, you know, military intelligence guys, uh, we used to joke and laugh at them because most of them were idiots, um, that um, all you had to do was literally ask them and they'd tell you what was going on. You didn't have to try and do it covertly. Uh, so... But anyway, back to this. Indonesia needs what we've got. Hmm. Indonesia has um, a growing young population that wants good stuff, wants good food, good water, good education, um, cars, blah, 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 blah. Australia also needs what Indonesia can help us produce. Indonesia has the ability to be a manufacturing hub that we can't be, right? Run steel mills, run aluminium presses, run all that sort of stuff. So instead of sending all our shit to China now, we could send it to Indonesia and support Indonesia. Um, and then, then go from there. We're still in the Asian sphere. We're still doing everything. It's closer. It's easier. Um, and, and look, they're a great bunch of people. And for all the grainies out there, it means if we are shipping to Indonesia, they're going half the distance, which means the greenhouse impact is half as big. Well, it's actually going to be a third the distance. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. I don't know, I'm just trying to come up with something to annoy them. So. Yeah. Um, oh, look, the, the, um, um, the best way to annoy a greenie is drive a diesel car and, and have it spurt black stuff out of it. You haven't seen my new Hilux, have you? No. It is a 95 diesel. It is shocking, about 16 litres per 100 Ks. It's gorgeous. I love it. So. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Bird, baby, oh, bird. I, I call her rusty because she's got more rust than actually metal in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a farm truck. She's brilliant. She's gorgeous. Um, <laughs> all too much of a fall off. But, yeah, so, right. so this is a good thing to have the Indonesian PM in Australia. 
Should have been there for ages. The problem is his term finishes next year. Um, hmm. So is it too, Possibly. too late? Well, Possibly. Um, I'm hearing rumours of a double disillusion, so that might be at the end of this year. Yeah, look, look uh, mm. but I was talking about with, with Odo's term finishes as well. Oh, okay, yeah. At the end of this year and that. Um, Australia, yes, we could have a double disillusion. Um, I think he's got the triggers now uh, with the housing bill uh, mm. falling over and there'll probably be another bill that the Greens go against shortly. Once again, mm. phenomenally, um, he's blaming the coalition. You know, no, it's Lydia thought. It's 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 the coalition's fault for not supporting our bill. Hang on a minute, they're the opposition. Of course, they're yeah. not going to support your bill, and you won't support their amendment. So, you know, how how can you expect to get something through if you won't won't uh, won't negotiate? And that's the uh, other I, thing that I find fucking stupid with this country at the moment is no one negotiates. Hmm. No one negotiates anything more. Try and get deals done with people who don't negotiate. It's fucking atrocious. Yeah. People start negotiating. You know, start getting back to, to bargaining and, and, and moving mm. something backwards and forth. And if they don't go somewhere else and find people to do, mm. it drives uh, me insane. Mm. Real estate agents are the, are the worst because oh, they're all thinking about their buddy back pocket rather than than actually trying to get a, the right deal for both parties. Okay. Um, Sorry, that's all, No, no, it's all good. It's all good. This is a chance for you to rant and rave. It's good. People love it. So get passionate, get fired up, match the colour of your hair, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> so moving on to the next one. Um, so the July 1st budget is actually out. Uh, we're already starting to see some of the impacts from it. Um, there's... Uh, you want to do the list or you want me to go through it? Because there's a I'll, I'll, go, I'll, I'll go through it. So, um, you know, we're, we're now in July, so a lot of the budget stuff's kicking in. I've just picked five here that, that I think are, are going to hit the hardest to a lot of people. Um, the first one I picked is the pension age is now 67. Now, this is not the retirement age, right? You can retire whenever you want. If you've got self-managed super, as long as you're 60, you can take it. This is when you can access the social security pension system. It's now 67, um, up from 65. It will go to 70 and, and beyond. They're saying it's because people are living longer and all this sort of stuff. It's not. Shit. It's because their treasury's running numbers going, we can't afford this, we can't afford this, um, and it's growing at such a huge rate. Um, so uh, for, for those who are, who, who are thinking that, you know, they're going to get a pension uh, sometime soon. No, you know, it's going to keep getting pushed out and out and out. So people of my generation uh, and younger uh, basically forget ever seeing a social security government pension. So you're going to have to have something uh, on your back pocket um, to, to help you go along. Um, the next I one just want to say something. Yeah. Sorry, Steve. I just want to say something on the pension. I've always wondered why it wasn't industry-based. So let me ask a question. Who here has ever seen a 65-year-old bricklayer? So someone who does? I've, I've seen a 70-year-old stonemason. 
I've seen a 70-year-old roof tiler, but I wouldn't want to get anywhere near him because he was just haggard as anything. Like, half his body didn't work. My brother's an electrician, and already he can't close his hands from the arthritis in his hands. So all these trades, like, how does a tradesperson, like, it might might be one in 10,000 that can make it to 70, like, and stay on the tools, but how are these trades supposed to survive? Like, a lot of them have alcohol problems, social problems, and all that sort of stuff where they actually need these pensions and that, I, I, it dumbfounds me how they can get to this point and go, oh, yeah, no worries, you're a brickie, work till you're 75. Yeah, you live longer. No, accountants live longer. Brickies yeah. don't. So, and, and, the, and, and this is the exact problem, is these laws are made by people who wear white shirts. I know you've got your white shirt, white collar. Um, it's you know. salmon, thank you. Salmon. The wife got it for me and she was very strict. It had to be a salmon-coloured shirt. And I'm like, wow. It looks white on my screen. Yeah. Um, uh, see, blue collar, mate, blue collar. Um, and, um, but, and that's the problem. They, a lot of these laws and legislations and rules and, and that, that get regulations that get put in place are made by white-collar people that sit in heated offices all day, right, and nothing affects them. So they don't think about the bricklayers, the carpenters, the trench diggers, the, the postal diggers, the, um, the, the you know, anyone farmers. who works. Farmers. Mm. Um, builders, carpenters, cabinet makers, um, welders. You know, imagine, you know, welders and, and mechanics and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, these are heavy, so the blue-collar industries. Mm. Right? And... Um, they, they need it. That's why the American pension system, I actually don't mind, which is industry-based and company-based uh, based systems. Um, look, the, in the, the late 80s, early 90s, the corporate raiders got a bit um, a bit greedy with raiding companies that had mass, massive pension funds, you know, pension funds that were 80 and 90 years old and sitting on billions of dollars worth of cash. Um, mm. But they were fully funded pensions for everyone that was in their industry. So that um, I think that could could be a, a solution, uh, industry-based style. Because we've got these industry super funds, but once again, they're for white-collar, really for white-collar people. Right? They're not for the, the carpenters and the bricklayers and that because they don't, most of those people now no longer support unions. Hmm. You know, I've so always thought union- about... Um, I've always thought of the idea of making um, once you hit a certain age, your income is tax exempt to yep. encourage people that they can work less as they get older, especially in those hard labor jobs like mechanics, bricklayers and all that sort of stuff. So A, they can actually make it through to the pension age. Um, the second one is making superannuation accessible earlier, especially because if you're not paying rent, you can pay off your house in your late 50s. That means you can put a hell of a lot more money away for your own retirement. So that's another idea I've, I've thought I, I quite like. I'd have to think through it more. Um, as someone who's in this industry, like not industry, but as an investor, do you think that would help a lot more? Uh, I think it would free up a lot more people um, into the workforce because some people could leave and others could go and, and you could restructure how the workforce force uh, operated. Um, it, it would need a lot of thinking to make sure that you didn't get the scallywags out there that would raid um, pensions and all this sort of stuff and then want to fall back on the government, uh, both business owners and, and, and the individuals. Um, 
the the biggest problem I've got, and and it's one of my points here with with, with the super system, is it's actually a tax on employment, hmm. right? And and that's what it is. And um, so I think we need a big rethink around our super uh, or hmm. our um, uh, investment and retirement um, type savings. Now. I say that I'm not a big fan of a lot of that because I think the, the biggest and best retirement account you can have is real assets producing income. But um, the the point is that we've got, we'll, we'll, you know, 80% of the population will never, ever do that. They'll always rely on, on a job and, and looking forward to their, their super account. So we've got to look after and have regulations in place for that but we've got to have it sustainable at the moment the whole uh, income system is not sustainable I, I, don't, I don't believe that anyone anyone who works um, and has income directed at them it should be taxed at all I think it should be zero tax uh, okay. on personal income so, so let's jump to point three which is a super guarantee is now 11 percent a lot of people don't realize this a lot of big businesses they go oh they're paying no income tax but they're paying superannuation payroll tax a lot of times we've got land duty taxes and all these other rules and regulations public liability insurances and everything yeah. as well it, it really annoys me when people they go oh apple paid no tax and like you think about it when you add all the other taxes that they pay for everyone they're paying insane amounts of tax already so Super is now gone up. And, and people say, that, oh, BHP and Rio and all these didn't pay tax. Yeah, but when you add up all the taxes, the money that they, the 11% now, well, it used to be 10.5%, but the 11% now that they, they have, most employees don't realise that, you know, they, they get their wage, they pay tax, and they see the super component, that's technically your wage. Hmm. Right, that's technically added to your wage. It's just going directly into a, into a super account. So everyone got a 0.5% wage increase on July 1. It's just that they, they don't touch it straight away, right? So, but that's also a 0.5% of the wage bill that's now extra on, um, on the company that increases all the other add-ons Mm -hmm. Like that, that have to be paid that are associated with wages. Oh, can anyone else say inflation? Exactly. <laughs> and this is what I've always said is inflation in, in the modern world is all government. 100% government driven. And it's the stupid policies like continually increasing the government, the, the, sorry, the super guarantee. They, they call it a super guarantee. It's really the employer giving you 11% extra, right? Mm. Um, and at some point, it's going to have to become half and half mm. or, or something along the lines of that where, but once again, um, we should get rid of the income system. Yeah. I, I still, the bit I've never understood with super and I've, uh, my ex-wife was a financial planner and she still couldn't explain this one to me. You pay tax as you earn money. You put money away into super, you get taxed again on the amount of money you put into your superannuation. If your super account earns money, it pays tax as a super account. And then when you pull your money out of your super, you get taxed again. Yeah, so it goes in at 15%. Then, then the earnings in it can get taxed. 
but the fund pays that for you. And then when yeah. you pull it out, you've got to pay the 15%. And then you've got to pay a fee each year for insurances and for your fund manager on top of that. So arguably you get taxed seven times. Yeah, but, but don't forget GST. Oh, and oh, GST, there you go. So eight. Don't forget Medicare levy and don't forget and don't forget and don't forget and don't yeah. forget all the other hidden hidden taxes. Australia, uh, I, I saw it. It was someone on, I can't remember what it was. It was someone earning 100 grand a year uh, paid $57,000 a year in taxes. So I've heard it's got, more. What's that? I've heard it's more. They did a, I, I hate to say, I think it yeah. was at ABC again. They did a breakdown of every. Every dollar you earn, if you're earning a hundred thousand or more, it was when you add GSC on the food you buy, stamp duty, and all the other government charges. I heard it's in the ninety percent. Yeah, well, it, it probably yeah. is, because um, fuel levy. So, so you, you uh, out of a dollar seventy uh, of mm. fuel, something like sixty-five or seventy cents is government. Yeah, right. Yeah, our roads so, are still shit. And then you still get charged GST on top of that. Right, and you get and you, so so you're getting all this. It's just layers on layers on layers, and and, and it's right. You're getting taxed something phenomenal. All right, talking of taxes and more increases going up. So point two, we skipped point two, went to three because that was super. Oh. Uh, power bills will go up ten to twenty five percent. Pretty Is much that renewables. Um, well, it's it's because of everything now, but I, it's also because the wholesalers are allowed to, to charge more. So in the budget, there was a part of the budget that allowed the retail, uh, sorry, the wholesale, generation wholesalers to charge more because of the increased costs. So the increased costs on, on a generator is because of government policy to go renewable and have all these carbon credits and all this bullshit. So the generation costs are going up. They're pushing the cost of, of gas up, and Australia's predominantly gas now, uh, mm -hmm. or, or moving more towards gas uh, because we're we're not renewing our coal um, power stations. Uh, renewables just aren't there. Renewables are still only at like 12, 10 or 12%, mm -hmm. uh, but not for 24 hours. So uh, it, they're, they're at 12% of generation capacity for about four and a half hours a day. So really, when you when you do the numbers, the numbers are fudged something terribly. It, it, renewables only supply about four, four, three to three and a half to four percent of power in a twenty-four hour period. That's yeah. generated, right? So um, it's it's just it's it's nuts, absolutely, absolutely nuts. So so people, I think WA's got the smallest increase. It's only like four or five percent. Queensland's got like a 19% increase. Victoria's 24%. Um, Tasmania, um, uh, what was Tas Tasmania had about an 8% increase because they're shipping so much power to Victoria um, mm. <laughs> that the locals are getting penalised for, for being green because pretty much all of Tasmania's power is hydro power mm. um, because it can. You know, good mm. on them. You know, they can well, do I, it. I, that dumbfounds me. Tom, hydro, hydro, Tom, Pryor, 
Tom Price has a 12-meter title difference every day, like multiple times a day. Why the hell aren't we harvesting? Like the natural energy stored there is immense. So it dumbfounds me how stupid like the government is. So with these increases, I just want to throw a question to you. During, um, I think it was 2021 in WA, we had a bills lock. So the McGowan government said that our household bills will not go up this year. Is this more of that just catching up to the freezers because of during that last couple of years? Yeah, so everything that, that there's two things really happening in, in our economy with pricing is the um, the Morrison government fucked up a lot during COVID by putting a lot of the freezers on and the, the Turnbull sort of government before that fucked up even more by, mm. this is federal level, by allowing freezers and forcing the state governments to freeze certain things. Mm. Now, all that has to, because everything's risen, just our purchasing power has gone down, right? And our our exchange rate, you know, it's at 60 cents when back then it was at 75 or closer to 80 or 90 in some instances, but to the US dollar. So that has has created a wave of, of catch-up of stuff that's got to happen to make things economical, to just so people can actually do what they've got to do to keep the lights on uh, mm. from a power perspective or a water perspective or a waste perspective and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so a lot of it is just it's it's government-induced short-term fixes that are causing long-term problems. Okay. Talking of long-term problems, now I've seen this one. Personally, I don't agree with it. Um it, it, I think this is just on spiral inflation even further out of control. So minimum wages have gone up to 23.23 an hour. Yeah. So we run a cleaning business from home. So we it's getting to the point where we can't hire cleaners because when you add with the award, there's all these other little extras. Like if you clean yep. a toilet, you've got to pay more. If you do this, you got to pay more. Then there's a minimum hours per shift as well. And there's all this we don't have a choice. We actually can't hire people through the books anymore. We have to put them all on contracts just because of what's happened with this alone. It, this was the straw that broke broke us from being able to hire people. So how much of an impact do you anticipate this is going to have on inflation? Now that they've said that inflation's gone, I think, from 6.8 to 6.3, are we going to expect to see it go flying through the roof again? In some, in some instances and in some industries, yes. Um, cleaners, aged care, um, and and this is this is the, the stupid thing, is this government and and a lot of governments, um, even the, the Morrison Turnbull government had the same thing, and and a lot of the state governments say we've got to look after the lower paid worker, right? Well, the problem is, is that there's caps on a lot of this stuff at the other end. So if you're a cleaner in a hospital or you're a cleaner in an aged care facility or um, you're something, 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 that facility only has X amount of money that it can mm. afford to pay different people because there's caps on how much they can charge their customer. Mm-hmm. All right? So you get the flow-on effect down. What this will do, so this was a 5.6, whatever it was, 6.5% increase to the to the hourly minimum wage. Um it, businesses like yours, and, mm. and I know a lot of other businesses around, um, that 
this will put, it will switch them from being employed to non-employed to basically casual employees having to run their own ABN, which has its own challenges for a lot of people, um, to uh, people just going, you know what, I won't put that casual on. I'll see if my staff can pick up that little bit of slack and I'll try and work out a under-the-table way of compensating them. Well, this is something that probably isn't mentioned here. That casual cleaner, instead of being 23 23 an hour plus everything else on top, is actually $33 something an hour plus. Yeah, or more. Like they're, they're getting paid more than I am as a business owner and all that sort of stuff. So we, we businesses just can't afford to do it. So we've had to actually had to not back work because there's so much work out there at the moment. It's not an issue of that there's no work. We actually go backwards by putting more people on because we can't charge more because people just don't have the money there. Like they're screaming for workers. We just can't do anything. And, that, and that's the catch-22 we're in. So, and, and that's why our unemployment will remain low and our job rate will remain high yep. purely and simply because there is so much work out there mm. at the moment. Um, builders at the moment... Um, pretty much every month the hourly rate's going up. Uh, if you're a builder or a building company, you're having to put the your, your subbies and, your, and your, the guys that work for you up four and five bucks an hour just to keep them. Um, <laughs> Geraldton handymen are charging $150 an hour. I've yep. heard doctors in the city are getting like $80 an hour. And this is for people to paint a door or to change a shelf. Um, the other thing that you haven't spoken to about yet Yes, the minimum wage has gone up to 23.23, but you've also put the super on top. Now, because the minimum yeah. wage has gone up, it means the super's going up even more again. Yeah, so the, so the super's gone up 0.5% to 11%, but it's also mm. gone up 5.65% because the wage rate's gone up 5.65%. So everything goes up, and that'll push a lot of businesses <coughs> over mm. the, um, the payroll tax threshold because they haven't gone up as well. In some instances, some of them have slid back. Hmm. So more and more people are going to get caught in that in that trap. Hmm. And, and that's just an absolute nightmare for, for businesses. So some businesses will go bankrupt. Some businesses will restructure. People will lose jobs, but pick them up. I, I hmm. still see that we're going to have very low unemployment uh, and we're going to have a lot of jobs available uh, because there is a lot of work out there. Mm. And it goes back to what we we're saying before: international students now less hours, mm -hmm. right? Changes to the gig economy, which which means people will do less hours to get under the thresholds. So mm. there's going to be more work available. Uh, so once again, the government laws just don't leverage the the economy properly. Yeah. So talking about international students not coming to Australia to work. Great segue into telcos are going to raise their base rates between five to ten percent per month. Did you yep. like that segue? Loved it. <laughs> so um, yeah, so not not five to ten percent, five to ten dollars a month per month. Per month. So uh, most base rates on mobile plans are going up anywhere between four and ten dollars. Um, I think um, Vodafone's already done it. Um, uh, Telstra's done it. 
I think Optus is about to do it or is doing it right now. And so that's, once again, the government's allowed them to increase the base rates they can charge on these plans um, because the whole, the, the, so it's the wholesalers that have been allowed to raise their rates, mm. which then forces all the way through um, because of these caps. You put a cap on something, right? It only ever goes one way and it meets the cap or exceeds it, mm. right? Um, and it, it sounds, sounds stupid, but when you put a floor on something, the price never stays at the floor, it goes higher. When you put a mm. cap at something, it goes to the cap. And then they work out that they, they charge levies or they charge other things that aren't in the cap but gets it above the cap to it to make it higher. And so artificial manipulation of a price floor or a ceiling means that everything either goes to the floor and stays there and creates no demand and no supply, or no supply but demand, or the cap you know goes the other way, you increase supply, but demand plummets. Mm. Um, so just basic economics. And I, and I think that's what's needed at, at uh, Treasury and, and in the Treasurer's office is just basic economics. Um, they've got to start getting back to going, you know what, guys, let's take some of this red tape and this regulatory bullshit out of the market to allow it to function, to, to, to take the, you know, grease the wheels and make it happen. Well, it's interesting you said that because Bradley says, uh, is there a way we can get a smarter government system and more skilled people in the government to make Australia great again? Stop fucking voting in the idiots. It's as simple as that. Every Get time we have a well. vote now, everyone just votes for the same old, same old. Mm. Right? You know, start voting for the fringe parties. Mm. Not necessarily because I believe the fringe party is any better, but because it'll start shaking up the system. Mm. The other problem we've got now is a government job is seen as a good thing. You know, You're a leech. Parents are, parents, yeah, because it's basically guaranteed income. Fuck all work, hmm. right? High, you're at the highest end of the percentile on the bell curve, right? You're at the top of the bell curve, curve uh, of, of getting wages. And a lot of the public servants' jobs, they don't get 11% super. They get 12, 13, 14, 15% super. Hmm. Plus, they get basically guaranteed wage rises, hmm. great living and working conditions. Right? So, people are now going, and this is the stuff you hear in China, you hear in Vietnam, you hear in hmm. India. Go sit the civil service exam. This hmm. was so why Britain did so well in its, in, in its, um, domination of the world creating an empire wasn't because it was good with a gun it was because it was good with bureaucracy and they created you know you go everywhere that the british have been they've created massive bureaucratic systems that attracted a big popular part of the population that entrenched their common law their regulations their way of doing stuff right and you have a look at India, South Africa, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, all these places that are supposed to be, you know, no, no longer under the British, British thumb, we're more under the British thumb now than ever because we've entrenched all those systems from the 16 and 1700s that the East India Company put around the world right, 
and we just keep laughing it up. Hmm. And this is where, where I get sick and tired of telling people that, you know, there is no one that is pulling strings anymore. There is only people that are directing group think and pushing ideology that their brain brainwashed to do, right? There is no puppet masters sitting there anymore because they were all around, well, in, in colonial times, they were around in the 16, 1700s, right, that set this train on motion. In the woke context, they were the ones getting into our school systems in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. They're all dead hmm. now, right? And everyone that was training them are dead now. But because of group think and because of ideological brainwashing, and pretty much a lot of this now is religious based. It amazes me how people think climate change is such a serious thing, but then denounce the Catholic Church. It's the same thing, you idiots. It's corporatized religion. Hmm. You know, one so person's what? God CO2, the other person's God is, is a man in the clouds, right? Yeah. It's corporatized religion. One, just going back to Brad's question, statement before, one thing I'd love to see is as someone who's actually ran as a candidate, I won't say which one because it's for each person to make up their own mind, um, the amount of people that actually get involved in politics, considering politics rules everything you do, like every aspect of your life, and if you don't like it, well, get out, and then that involves going to another country. I'd love to see more people getting involved on the grassroots campaigning side of things. If you want good politicians, find one that mat matches what you actually believe in and get out there and help those candidates because it's next to impossible to find good volunteers. So if you really do want a new system, you need to change who you put in there. And the only way to do that is by actually supporting the candidate that, that you believe would be a good candidate. Yeah, and and that's – I've got a – at the moment, I'm I'm a bit cynical on the political process. I've been involved in it for so long. Is I'm more worried about the person that wants to be a, a politician today, or wants to be prime minister today, or wants to be premier today, than I was 20 years ago, or 15, 10 years ago, because I'm finding most of those people are more narcissistic, dictatorial, absolute people we don't want right, joining politics rather than the person that we do want. Oh, what I'm finding is the person that we do want, they get involved and then go, oh, this is fucking bullshit. I'm out of here. Pull the ejection lever and leave. And, mm. and then we've got a vacuum of good people and now we're just getting the narcissistic idiots in, right? And, and that's the problem. And every political party, it doesn't matter whether it, it is um, a minor party or a major party. They've all got the same problem. And we've seen that with the UAP. And, yes, it was the most pronounced for Palmer's party or UAP. The amount of people that joined his party, and there's two of them in Parliament at the moment, um, one's from Tasmania, um, that before they joined have been... Um, recorded as saying, I'm going to use him to get elected, then become an independent. 
And I can tell you it happens at every single minor party. The amount of people that jump in, try to go on the bandwagon of the people who have that following behind them and, and then just leave. It, it's, it really, really annoys the shit out of me, especially when you have all these volunteers who aren't paid helping to make the party survive, especially in WA with all the changes in electoral laws over here. 11 minor parties got deregistered literally overnight. So seeing all these people work their guts off night and day to get the party re-registered and then have all these people swan in at the last minute to get themselves elected, it, it really infuriates me. So yeah. anyway, talking of politics, let's jump over into everyone's favourite part, the global economy with Trump Watch. Trump Watch. What's, what's the orange man done now? Oh, mate, he's, he's been out doing heaps of rallies. Shit, he's been rallying everywhere. Um, there, there is, there's a couple of, of his close allies. I was talking to one of the guys over in, um, in Florida and there's some, there's some political constitutionists that are saying if he's indicted and actually becomes, pro, um, becomes president, that there could be some real constitutional issues Mm. coming up because in theory he'll he could be selecting judges that could be forced to rule on 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 his on, on his cases so as I, I didn't through, think of that as they get so so he could he could select judges to different courts the federal courts around mm. around the country and if his cases get moved from state to federal, all of a sudden he could have been appointing judges that are going to rule on his own case. That, that, so, that's a pearler. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see them work their way through that one. So, um, um, yeah, so, so a lot of us, we, we were sit, I was sitting on the call going, oh, oh, yeah, that could be that, interesting. That would be hilarious. But the bit that I find funniest about that one, um, especially how similar Australia is to America. So um, we actually do have Donald Trump Jr. coming to Australia. Uh, I'm just on the website now on the other screen. Ninth, uh, where is it? Sydney is 9th of July. Brisbane is 10th of July. Melbourne is 11th of July. So the guy that actually organised that, Joel Jamal, has actually been on this with you once before. Um, yep. There's been a couple of new things announced for that one. Nigel Farage will be coming with him. And Senator Alex Antic will also be doing part of the show as well, which is going to be really awesome. So really looking forward to that one. Unfortunately, I can't get there. I'm stuck in WA. But, Steve, are you going to make the trip? Mate, I am trying to get back to Brisbane for the 10th, mm -hmm. um, which is Tuesday, but I may have to change and do the one in Sydney instead. I think the Sydney one's going to be bigger because just a bigger crowd. And also because Sydney and Melbourne are the home of like the, the left hards of the left. The leftists, leftists of the left are in Sydney and Melbourne. I can just imagine the rallies, the protests, the screaming, the gluing themselves to the road sort of thing. I, I just can't wait to see some of the news articles about that one. I think that's going to be the, the highlight of the whole trip and certainly that they use the speed bumps. So yeah, that, that's, that, that's, what it, that's what it would impress me more is, um, is to be able to, um, uh, to go to the Sydney one just, just to see the pre-show, right, yeah. of all the lefties, yeah. Like, I wonder what the, the prime thing, prime arguments are. Oh, you're a racist, you're homophobic. I want to see what thing they try to attack him the most with while he's there. 
Because what so a lot I, of people do. Someone, I had someone once say to me, oh, you, you're, you're a racist and this, that and the other. And I went, fuck yeah. <laughs> and their fate, they nearly fucking exploded on the spot. Oh, Stephen, Stephen. <laughs> We've got to have and, a slight political correctness here. I, I know you. I've met you personally. I know you're not. Um, no, no, but, but, but when you nine times out of five, ten, nine times out of ten, what I find <laughs> is when these people actually say that you are something, j- just agree with them. Because I can't do that, Stephen. I want to run for it, politics. Can you imagine what would happen if that made it to the media? <laughs> oh, my, most of the media wouldn't care because they're going to probably label you a racist anyway. But <laughs> but what, what it does is it takes the wind out of their sail mm. and it knocks them back on, onto the back foot. Right. And and um, and now with these judgments in the US, you're going to be able to turn around to them and say, well, actually, I'm not the racist you are. Yeah. And it's and it's where there's a legal decision to say that. It, yeah. So yeah. I wonder how that's going to interact with the um, uh, misinformation and false information acts that are coming through at the moment. I wonder if oh. the Australian government is going to try and nail you for that one because you do have a legal standing. It's not misinformation anymore, but will the Australian government try to push it? They, they will. So it, when you actually have a read of the white papers that are around the the legislation that's coming out about these truth commissions, um, mm-hmm. it is it is literally what dictators use to control the media in socialist and communist countries. Mm-hmm. It's basically the truth is defined by what the government or the science tells you. Now, the science tells us that there is only There's two, two genders. Right? Biology has confirmed, well, actually, there's three. There is, there's the 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 hermaphrodite, non-sexual, single organism, and then there's a male femur, right? If you go that way, Steve, there's actually four then because there are humans that are born with both bits that both work. Yeah, but that's it. Isn't that the, the, isn't that part of the, anyway, but, but you know (laughs) what I mean? Like, Biology, biologically, um, I should have went to school. Um, there is two <laughs> genders, right? Yeah. That's it, male, female, you know, bits and no bits. Um, and the um, uh, the science was being confirmed on that for millennia. So... The, the, the truth tellers are telling us that no, 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 that's all wrong. The mm. truth is there is, I think they're up to 56 different genders now or something stupid. The list is hey, stupid. Steve, Steve, what does yeah. the B in the LGBTQ stand for? I've got no idea. Bisexual, bi, two. Bi is two, yeah. Just the word itself means there's only two genders. So yeah. that one always winds them up as well. Yeah. But and, and and that's the problem is and same on climate change. Mm. There is there is physical proof out there from ice cores that CO two has been nearly double what it is today at, at six and seven hundred million parts, um, where we're at three fifty or whatever it is now, um, and the planet was better. It was greener. It was lusher. It was supporting more life 
Um, it was there was more food being grown and all that, and that is during humans walking on the planet over our existence. Hmm. Right. So this and but because it doesn't meet with the science that the government wants you to tell because of their agenda, right? It's discredited, um, and that's going to be the problem with these truth commissions is. You could be telling the literal truth, but because it's against what the government wants, you could be put in jail for it. So talking of putting someone to jail, we'll bring it back to Trump. Uh, supporters and donations are growing. Trump is possibly to skip the debates. Now, that's the first time I've heard of him skipping a debate because he destroyed Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason that, that he um, could be skipping the debates is... Um, he's uh, solidly now 50, 55% of the, of the GOP uh, vote, solidly. Like, it's not moving. It's staying there and everyone else is moving. Uh, DeSantis goes from 18, 20, 22, 20, 18, 20, you know, up and down. Trump is just going, you know, 53, 53 and a half, 52 and a half, 53, 53. Like, it's, it's fairly stuck in a band. Um, and the trend is that he is stuck there all the way. Um, the rest are jostling around. Now, he's saying, why would I give my, when I, when the, the party has basically already spoken that I should be the nominee, why should I give everyone else airtime uh, on the back of me? So what he's saying is, I'll go and do rallies and soak up the political airtime. What he does better than any politician that I've ever, 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 ever seen is how he runs free media. Mm. He, he won 2016, was 2016, wasn't it? Yeah, 2016, because he got five to one on the free media. Mm. Hillary Clinton outspent him five to one, right? So he spent 400 million, they spent nearly 2 billion. But he got three point something billion in free airtime mm. to her, like three or four hundred. Mm. It was it's phenomenal the amount of money that he and, and airtime and advertising and everything that he gets because of how he's done. Now, um, having known people that have been around his political circle and the circles that, that had been around him since the 1986, when he was first tapped on the shoulder to, to look at running, um, everything he's done since then has led up to where he is today. He has been a politician, and this is what everyone gets wrong about Trump. Trump wasn't a TV personality, he wasn't a property developer, he wasn't whatever. Trump was a candidate in waiting, building his base for 40 years. There is no other politician on the planet that I know of that has been doing the same thing. The closest to it is Nigel Farage, and he's been doing it for 25 years. Hmm by doing his parties and all that sort of stuff, but he didn't build it outside of politics. Nigel built it inside of politics. Hmm. 
Nigel could be PM of the UK if he was inside the Tory party. But he'll never be because, he, he one, he's hated by that. And he's got morals. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but Trump, the reason Trump will never run as an independent is he needs the Democrat. He still, sorry, he needs the GOP to get him across the line. And then he needs the Democrats to be angry with him. And he wouldn't get that if he was an independent candidate. So, so that's that's where he's at now. Um, that so him skipping the debates doesn't mean that they won't elect him the nominee. Um, I, I still reckon it's a hands down that he'll be the nominee. Uh, and um, uh, th- there is some talk in the US that. Um, the 25th may have to be pulled on Biden uh, so that what happens doesn't get any worse, which means we'll end up with Kamala for probably six or seven months uh, up until the election. Um, So it's getting very interesting. Um, Biden's health is, um, you know, from the the chat on the Hill, Biden's health is going this way at a 1,000 miles an hour. Everyone knows it. Everyone can see it. Um, he's just been uh, propped up for, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, Political purposes while they get their shit together on their side. Um, There is talk that Michelle Obama has been tapped on the shoulder by the same people that put her husband in the White House. Um, to make a run for a governorship, so so that could be an interesting interesting thing. It's funny. Um, we've got Aiden saying um, uh, RFK Junior would kill Biden in a debate. To be honest with you, I think anyone would kill him in a debate if his heart rate gets so high, he'll probably just have a heart attack and die. Um, like not trying That's to be that- harsh to Biden or anything, but. I, I personally think this is senior abuse. He should shouldn't be anywhere near politics at this stage. He it's should elder. be there. It, it, it's insane what they're doing to him. Um, it's elder abuse. Like, 100% elder abuse. So I, I find it disgusting personally. Um, interesting comment. You think RFK Jr. would beat Trump? Um, I've never seen no. uh, RFK Jr. in a debate, so I'm not sure. No. Um, I... I the- RFK, the problem that RFK's got is his Kennedy. Mm. Um, that That's working for him at the moment, but he's still a Democrat at heart. The Democrat Party hate him mm. because he's making Biden look bad. Um, and that's not bad. I think Biden's making Biden look bad. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that is true. A, a photo of Biden makes Biden look bad. Um, the... Um, the, the, the establishment would welcome Robert Kennedy in the mix because they've got so much over the Kennedy family uh, that he wouldn't be able to get over. He, he'd, be, he'd be led around the merry-go-round the same as Trump was in his first term. Hmm. Why Trump is so deadly this time around is he knows how the game is played. He's an insider now. He hmm. won't be led by the CIA, the NSA, 
the yeah. FBI, the, the the deep state, the the the, the swamp. Yeah. Robert Kennedy, even though he's been around politics, you know, and he was part of you know um, administrations before, um, he's still a bit of an outsider hmm. when it comes to to the the deep state, the swamp, um, and. Um, he says the right things, but he will still get get crushed. Yeah. Now, okay. him versus him versus the Santos in twenty twenty eight. Now that is a matchup that could be. So we could see in twenty twenty eight a Robert F Kennedy. I think he's it's Robert F Kennedy Jr. Isn't it? Um, uh, I um, think so. Yeah against someone like DeSantis as but RFK running as an independent. Okay, here's here's a thought for you. RFK Jr. versus Donald Trump Jr. Uh, Trump Jr. would get, get eaten alive. He's not his old man. Okay. It, it, I, I, I've, I, I've been at rallies and I've been around him and, yep. and he's nowhere near his old man. Ivanka, on the other hand, oh, my God. Really? Yeah. 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 She um, is She's more cunning than a shit-ass rat. Okay. The one I've always enjoyed watching on Fox News, I think it's Don's wife. Lara. Laura. Lara. Lara, Lara Trump. I've heard her on... Um, uh, I think it's Fox News in America. She's phenomenal. I think she is awesome. She's really quick, like grabs things immediately. But again, how would she go on the big stage? No, nah, um, we'd get eaten alive. She would need to do state-based stuff first. Mm. They, they all would. All, all the Trump mm. kids would need because they haven't been playing politics from day one. Mm. Um. So Ivanka wouldn't because she's now in a, a Jewish family um, yeah. with a marriage to Kushner. Um, that, that just wouldn't work. Um, Trump Jr. plays off his dad's name, but he's not mm. his dad. Um, yeah. And could be if he played politics from, like, if he switched tomorrow and mm. did everything that his father did to make a platform, or take over his father's platform, yes, mm. he could be dangerous, but he's not. He, he's he's a sideshow to his old man at the mm. moment. His brother, on the other hand... Is this uh, Eric? Uh, Eric yeah. is going to be a very switched-on businessman. Mm. Going to be a very, very switched-on businessman. Um, uh, I'm very impressed with the Trump women, and, and what mm. I say the Trump women is, is, is Ivanka, Malena, uh, Lara... And Eric's wife. Um, it, it's like the men um, are batting way above their average when, when it comes. Hey, to isn't that Trump? Trump through and through. Like, look at oh, some of his wives. Like, they're they're phenomenal. And then you got Trump. Hundred <laughs> percent. They, they all bat. You know, like normally they bat at six and seven, but they're batting at nine. They're batting at one and two. Right. They're they they've nailed it out of the park. Um, yep. Okay. 
<laughs> All right, so talking batting above their averages, we, we're going to move this one on. Uh, so Paris has continuing protests. Yeah. I've heard rumours from 30 days of protests. I've heard 65 days of protests. How long have these protests actually been going on? I would say closer to 18 months, two years. Um, these protests wow. are a continuation of the ones that started with the tractors and that and the farmers yeah. um, putting shit uh, into the palace. Uh, of Versailles um, back in uh, 2020. Yeah, late late 20, early 21. Mm. Um, So it's just been a rolling lot of protests. Same in Italy. These protests are in Italy. They're in Brussels. uh, They're all over Europe. Uh, Norway, I think, have them. Finland's got some. Sweden's Sweden's got some real bad ones. Um, Oh, they're angry they're angry as shit, and that those ones are really driven by immigration more than yeah. anything. My auntie lives in Sweden, and they got out. They migrated to Spain because they said the immigration problems, especially with um, African migrants into Sweden, it's just an absolute free-for-all. There's no safety, yeah. and they're from Malmo, which is supposed to be a really, really safe area, and they, they just don't do anything. Like they, yeah. the moment the sun starts going down, you just lock up the doors, shut your roller shutters, and just yeah. pray. Yeah. So friends of mine in Lyon, there's massive protests in in Lyon, and um, they're, they're saying they're worse than Paris, mm. uh, and it is not um, young youths and all that sort of stuff. They said, yeah, the, the young youths and that around, and they're causing trouble, but the deep thuggery is mm. organised crime. Mm. And and it's violence against government. It's um, uh, it's immigrant packs that are that are organised. Um, there is uh, protests from working people, union working people, and and the thing is, they're all sticking to their different parts of town mm-hmm. and not interacting with other because they're all got the same view of get rid of the government, right, and put pressure. So. There is massive little protests from different groups all happening all over Europe and all over European cities um, that uh, that's caused. And this is only going to get worse. This, yep. this is the start of um, of stuff that could lead to the breakup of of some of these these countries. And um, it is also why the likes of the European Union, NATO, all the the um, World Health and all those, all those organisations that are the quasi-government organisations based out of Europe are all strengthening themselves now uh, to take over from the fallout when a government like France's falls. Mm-hmm. Do you think it will actually do. get that far? Do you think, think France will actually fall? I think it could. Mm-hmm. I think it could. Yes. If there's enough pressure um, and, and it builds up enough, 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 but then it leads to civil war mm. because what happens is once once the government falls and loses control, and I reckon the French government uh, from a from a police from a fire from all that bit down the down the bottom, right, um, is um, is weakening in France and in Italy uh, in particular. Uh, a little bit in Germany, but they, Germany's got a, a long way to go, uh, is, is all starting to weep. And once they start to break down and the police and that go, you know what, fuck this, we're mm. out of here, 
we're not here to protect the politicians anymore. Um, yeah. Once they turn uh, and then start joining or start standing back and letting you know happen, uh, you're in you're in big, 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 um, big problem. And then yeah. what happens is the the likes of the WEF and you know the the central organisations that are vying to be the, the next one world government. They'll never be the, a one world government. They'll be a European government, but they'll mm. never ever be. There is no way America is going to cede to some third party. Yeah. Not even the Democrats are that fucking stupid to cede themselves to someone else, right? Um, we, we've got too many narcissists at the heads of, of a lot of countries in, in the Western world that they'll never secede to um, a third party. Because they do themselves out of a job, they do themselves out of power. So why would they? Yeah. Uh, Europe has already done this, so Europe has already ceded a lot of power to these independent third parties. That's why Britain needed to get out, hmm. right? and that's why they're trying to drag Britain back in because they need Britain in there to keep it going. Uh, but then again, Portugal and Spain, I don't think would sign up. They're too independent. And all that sort of stuff, and they would they would they would split back into their individual provinces, you know, quicker than than you could open a bottle of champagne in, you know, Charles Schwab's office. Um, yeah. It would it would it would just be all out. But somewhere like like France has fallen before. Don't think it hasn't. France fell fairly quickly in World War One and World War Two, in our living memory. Right, mm-hmm. the the actual underlying structure of government gave up to the Germans pretty quickly and then you're left with the underground. And the underground mm. was fucking fierce. Mm. But the underground didn't have the big migrant and the big ethnic pushes that have been going on for since the 60s into Europe. Um, that's causing a lot of racial division. Okay. So Because I've heard 45,000 police are in the streets at the moment. Actually, in I'd, the streets are full gear. I'd say there's more. Yeah. They've been pulling so, them from all over the place to, to go into yeah. This is in the Paris. Don't forget, you yeah. so you've got Paris, you've got Lyon, you've mm. got um, Calais, uh, Marseille. You've got a lot of towns now that are all got the same problem. Yeah. yeah. So the point, the question I was leading to was if there's already, you know, borderline 50, 60, 70,000 police in the streets fully armed, at what point do you actually say, you know what, this actually is a civil war? Um, good question. Um, a, a civil war is, so what you'd need to see is the police split along mm. the different lines, which is what happened to the civil war in the US, yeah. right? You had the army literally split yeah. and start fighting itself. When you see that happen, then you're in civil war territory, hmm. right? Um, when when part of the security establishment, when I say the security establishment, I mean military, police, civil hmm. services, turn against the government, that's when you ha- that's when you're in civil war territory. Okay. At the moment, they're still doing the bidding of the government. Okay, considering how many international conflicts America's forced themselves into, if it does get to a civil war, do you think America will will send troops to try and stabilise it? I I reckon they'd run. 
but I don't think they can. If you have a look, um, and I've, I've been trying to get the numbers, but they're hiding it quite a lot. America used to have 170-something bases in 88 countries. Mm-hmm. The last time I saw that number was down to 100 and, about 115, 120 bases in 60 countries. So they've, they've slowly been retreating mm. and they've been doing it under, they started it probably under Obama, um, Obama. Obama. Mm. Uh, and then Trump accelerated it a bit and Biden slowed it down, but has, has kept it going. You know, Okinawa's shut down and, and a lot of people moved here or moved to Guam. They've yeah. shut bases in Taiwan. They've shut, they've shut bases in the Middle East. They've shut Afghanistan. Right. So they're, they've slowly been pulling back and because they're stretched. Their recruitment numbers are through the floor. Hmm. They can't meet their quota. The only one meeting their quota, and it's level pegging, it's not increasing, is the Marines. The Navy, Army, Air Force, Space are all behind. Coast Guard are all behind uh, their recruiting. And then just the, the marine. So, so I don't think the US has the capacity to do so. Okay. Um, talking of more conflicts, uh, the UK held a conference on Ukraine. This mm. was a stage for the Necrons to show Russia they will spend to the death. Neocons. So ne- neocons. Yeah. I've heard this term a couple of times, Steve. What is a neocon? So a neocon is someone who pretends to be um, conservative in both political parties. So they, they tend to be centrist, but at the end of the day, all they want is war. So okay. neoconservative is, is a team that, that gets becomes neocon. Um, and most of our prime ministers that we've had since probably 75, uh, the Gough era, um, have all been neocons. Uh, most British prime ministers have been neocon uh, um, most of the New Zealand ones have, except Jacinta. Um, she was just an outright loony. Um, Lady most, Jacinta, thank uh, you. What's that? Lady Jacinta. Lady Jacinta. Now, yeah. <laughs> um, That's just for Shaq. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the, the neocons are always the ones that have got to have an enemy. And most mm-hmm. of them, their enemy is Russia. Russia, 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 or it's China, 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 China. If you, you can tell in their speeches if they're a neocon or not, because they've always got to pick an enemy. The McCain family in the Republican Party is a massive, massive neocon family. They've made all their money out of being um, associated with the neocons. The the Bushes are the same. They're, yeah. they're, they're neocons. They made all their money being. Um, the Bidens and neocons, the, the Clintons are probably the poster childs for, for the neocons, uh, Obamas, um, yeah. because they're the ones that expand. Trump's definitely not a neocon. He hates war um, yeah. and would shut war down as, as fast as he could. Uh, so, and the neocons are the ones that have lost, I think it's the, the US budget now, they've lost like $30 trillion through the defence budget. Just... Just disappeared. Um, so 
so that's that's a very interesting interesting thing. But back to this um, this conference, there was this massive conference held in in the Ukraine in the UK um, to what the Western world was going to do to support um, Ukraine. And oddly enough, Albo didn't go. I know he was invited. He didn't go. Um, but John Howard was there. Abbott was there. Morrison was there. Um, there was a couple of uh, Labor politicians there. I think uh, O'Connor was there. Um, was Penny there Wong was, there? I don't think Penny Wong was there. Or did she go to I, the Wong meeting? She went to the Wong meeting. Um, the... Um, I think what they're trying, what they're trying to do is, is keep Albo clean for when he did the the dump of our shit artillery vehicles um, to the Ukraine, uh, and and look, I reckon that's a great thing is get rid of them to Ukraine because they're not going to sell them on the black market like they did the Bushmasters. Um, so that, they'll just go and sit in a field and not get used. Um, they, the reason, and and it's quite it's funny as fuck. Whenever the Ukraine turns around and goes, no, 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 you don't send us those, send us these ones, it's because they've already got orders for them, you know, on the black market. Yeah. And I'm, I'm waiting for the first F-6. I think they're, they're training F-16 pilots at the moment. So I'm waiting for the first Ukraine pilot to fly an F-16 to Saudi Arabia or, or Afghanistan or somewhere and sell them um, like they did with all the other arms and shit that, that they get. But once again, this is, these, are, these are neocon policies, right? Let's arm the local population so we know that this gets out into the black market so that we can create an enemy. Hillary Clinton did it really, really well by setting up the Taliban. The Taliban were just religious nut freaks, right? Then she armed them to go and fight in Afghanistan and then created her own worst enemy. And so that's what the neocons do. And, and that, mm-hmm. this, whole, this whole conference was just neocon leaders all over the world that were going, we need Russia, 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 kill Russia, kill Russia, because they need an enemy. Mm-hmm. Without an enemy, without a war, and that's what they're trying to do, create World War Three, right, on ground World War Three. And I still believe we could see a ground war spread into Europe off the back of this and it won't be pretty it won't be pretty at all uh, because this time you've got heavily heavily armed people with a lot of dirty bombs and, and shit that they mm. didn't have in world war ii you know yeah. they, they didn't have drones in world war ii mm. now the problem with this and the neocons know it is civilians normally kill, get killed more it's like four to five times more than, than soldiers. Yeah. All right. And that's what they, that's really the underlying part of their thing. Let's cull the population. Then it's controllable. My first. It's very concern, sadistic. Like, I, I can see the Ukraine. I, I've seen how well Trump can calm things down. So we saw that with North Korea. Uh, first US president set foot on North Korean soil. I have a sneaky suspicion if he gets voted in, whether you love him or hate him, I can see Russia and Ukraine settling practically overnight. They'll go, oh, you know what, let bygones be bygones, let's just peace treaty immediately. 
Knowing how well, bad... Well, this would never have started if he, was, if he was president. Spot on. Knowing how bad the neocons want a war, they'd have to look elsewhere. My concern is knowing that Australia helped Timor, I'm looking like really close home. Can you see the neocons trying to arm Indonesia? No. Or do you think that's too close to home? That's too close to home for us. And, mm. and um, it could lead to Indonesia turning against them mm. rather than trying to do that. Because the only reason they do that is to hope that Indonesia stood up to China and created a mm. war in our, our region. Not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. Um, uh, not in my lifetime anyway. So uh, it's just not going to happen. Um, if and Australia doesn't have enough to, to give and, and all that sort of stuff, it would need the likes of the massive war machine that is the, mm. the American industrial defense industry industrial complex um, to pump out enough shit. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, when this first started, when the Ukraine war first started, uh, all the defense guys went, thank fuck for this. We can get rid of all the weapons that have timestamps on them. Right? So all the bullets, all the grenades, all the gunpowder, all the, the stuff that they've been sitting on the shelf because Afghanistan wound down so they weren't selling it there and other places and they couldn't sell it because we, we, for a while there, especially during Trump, um, mm. we, it was the quietest period when it comes to war that we've seen in many and many a decade, mm. right? Um, so the, the defence guys were sitting on huge stockpiles and stuff. And where did it all end up? Ukraine. Mm. And then they all got paid for it and they all got rid of it, right? But it ended up in, in, in the Ukraine. Okay. So, so we're, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting to see um, these guys at work. Um, and they've been around forever and a day. You know, it was the, the, the first version of the neocons um, really started to rear their head uh, toward probably the end of the 1800s um, and triggered a lot of the stuff around things like the Boer War. Um, the, the the first Borneo War and all that sort of stuff. So okay, yeah. So just going on to the next point, uh, Russian coup could it actually be the start of a civil war? The hard lines want Putin gone for oh, being yeah. too soft on Ukraine and interesting things. Yeah. So oh, where do I start on this? Um, a lot. So, so just just a bit of background on this Wagner group. So this Wagner group is a private military, private army, hmm. right? It's been established by the, the guy that led it, who was um, a, uh, got very, very rich off Putin and his men. Hmm. Um, everyone says that he's a Putin ally. He was never a Putin ally. He was there for one reason, to get rich, to hmm. make sure that um, the hardliners uh, who, who think Putin's soft, mind you, right? Uh, there's a lot of people behind the Russian curtain that think Putin is very soft, right? And we portray him as this strong beast. But in Russian terms, he's a pufter, basically. Um, uh, and he's as soft as a marshmallow. That's how, they, that's how they see him because 
what they would have done with Ukraine is just gone in and nuked Kiev and it would have been mm. over. That's mm. what they were calling for <clears throat> in Red Square for him to do. In the Doma, which is their parliament, there was guys there calling for the nuking of Kiev from day one to have this over and done with and take back the territory. That's why getting rid of Putin, anyone who thinks getting rid of Putin is a good idea is a fucking idiot because it will unleash more and more of these Wagner guys. This Wagner guy is the first to do it, right? And, and it's named after a German composer or artist or something, the, the unit. Um, and these guys are um, fanatical hardliners from the old Cold War era mm. that basically want to see um, half of Europe destroyed and taken back into the empire. Uh, they have no love for the Nazis in Ukraine, which is Zelensky and his mob. And meanwhile, these what, what you also got to remember is a lot of these Nazis, the Azerian Nazis that are in, in the Ukraine, were the ones that supported Hitler mm. against the Jews. So this is Jew on Jew action. Right? These, these, these are Jewish Nazis that wanted to see Hitler succeed. We're talking evil, evil, evil people. Mm. Right. So... Um, what, what this could lead to, if more and more of, uh, of these so-called Putin allies um, come out of the woodwork, uh, expect to see um, more... Um, um, where's my head at? Um, more of this type of thing. Belarus is... Um, he, he's playing both sides... He's helping Putin and he's helping the other sides as well because everything seems to be going through Belarus at the moment. So if he twigs, because he's a he's a borderline hardliner himself, Leshenko uh, in um, in Belarus, but at the moment he needs Russia more than oxygen. So mm-hmm. he's keeping on the good side of Putin. So um, just be very, very careful what you wish for out of this. And the same in China. Um, right now, you don't want Xi Jinping having a lead breakfast um, when the communists still have all the power. You want the capitalists in China to get back in control and then Xi Jinping have a lead breakfast because then you'll have the guys that took China to where it is today over the last you know, 25 years back in control and they'll switch from war footing and and all this communist bullshit back to a, a full communist a full capitalist outlook and try and bring the other 800 million people that are in poverty um, up with them or at least another 400 million of them um, mm. up into um, into the middle class and and then you've got a massive powerhouse um, that can keep pace with uh, India and Brazil for that. So. so one of the things I did hear about Putin that apparently he willingly showed weakness to try and incite these guys to try to start a civil war in Russia so he could pick out, right, who are his enemies and who aren't, so that way he could pick them all off. I don't that's think... Exactly, that, that's pretty much exactly what he did. So mm. he he's, once he started to see it happening, 
he stood back to let mm-hmm. them all rear their head and and then he started to chop their heads off. Well, people to think that Putin is not insanely intelligent, especially when it comes to these sort of things, I think you need your head checked. He, I think oh. Putin is definitely not soft. I think he's definitely nasty, but he's more crafty than what he is nasty. He, so. um, uh, and when I say soft, he's soft on Russian scale. Mm. He is the Incredible Hulk on the Western scale. Mm. Like there is no Western politician that is anywhere near him mm. at all. Trump doesn't even come anywhere near him at all. But Putin and Trump respect each other because they're as mm. crazy as each other, mm. but crazy in, in a political, the good political way. Yep. The other thing so, you've got to remember is with, with Russia is Russia is predominantly a Christian-based society, right? And it has more in common with us in the West than we pretty much do um, in a lot of the rest of the world. Hmm. You know, so it's a bit of a fish out of water when it comes to something like the alliance that it's building in the BRICS. Hmm. So, so because it is starting to get on a little bit late now. It, we've now gone over two hours, Steve. So well done. <laughs> One of the longest ones we've done. So the quirky thing for the week: uh, Elon Musk versus Mark Zuckerberg to have a cage fight in Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Las Vegas, uh, like. I, 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 when I saw this come up, Elon Musk challenged um, Mark Zuckerberg. That they they hate each other, um, and um, funnily enough, when 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 Zuckerberg, uh, sorry, when when Elon bought Twitter, Zuckerberg went to build his own Twitter because he thought there was a void there, but. Mm-hmm. Um, quickly lost the billion dollars on doing it and shut it down when he realised, oh, fuck, Elon's got it over me. Um, and so they've had this love-hate relationship. And then Elon Musk put it out there that let's have a cage fight. I think Dana White's got behind it. The WWF has got behind it. Um, um, who's one of the other big... Anyway, one of the other big cage UFC? Fight, uh, yeah, UFC. They've yeah. all gone, fuck yeah, we'll 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 do this and we'll do it yeah. in Las Vegas. And Zuckerberg, you know, had no choice. When, when, when he got back into a corner. I'll give Mark Zuckerberg this. He's a competition level jujitsu. Um yeah, but uh, how much of that can you believe considering that it was all posted on Facebook? The guy that fought him actually posted pictures of him slamming Zuckerberg, which is round over. Yeah, they are moved. But so it's hard to know, but it does go back to when he was at college. Zuckerberg was Hmm. heavily on the competition circuit in in college. So, and Elon Musk, probably from what I understand, is um, I I think having, um, having cocktails at the UFC is probably as close as he gets to any of this sort of stuff. Um, but it's going to be funny uh, to watch. If it goes Just ahead, tell- I reckon if this goes ahead, right, and I don't know how they're going to get it around their insurance companies for the for the company stuff because they're both 
you know, pretty high um, paid execs and, you know, key men for their, their companies. Um, I reckon it would be the largest pay-per-view of its type ever. Like, I think it'll, it'll beat any of the major fights that we've ever seen. Yeah. The, the one thing, if I was Elon Musk, the first thing I would do, I'd intentionally go put a little EMP right in front of Zuckerberg and detonate it to make sure he's not a robot. Yeah. Or I'd come out with a shirt saying uh, no no probes because I've, I've heard he's an alien, he's a cyborg, but, yeah. <laughs> Personally, I would yeah. watch it just for shits and giggles, and I'd love to see Mark Zuckerberg get punched in the face. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and of all things, it's a Canadian. Eh? <laughs> eh? <laughs> so well, I, I, well, I, well, see, the thing is that both of them aren't American because uh, um, Elon Musk is South African. I thought he was Canadian. Now, Elon Musk is South African, and Mark, I think Mark Zuckerberg's a Canadian, isn't he? I, I thought they were both non American. Anyway, doesn't matter. Ah, either way, they're both weird. Yeah, both are weird and wonderful. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's pretty much everything for today. Have you got any other closing things you want to talk about? No, look, um, just w- w- one of the things that, that I really want to say is um, don't, um, don't fear the time we're in, right? Mm. This is the time to really have a look at where you are, where you want to be, where you think you could go and reevaluate what's going on. We're doing it. Uh, me and my partners are doing it, and we're taking some big drastic actions on some things um, and tweaking others because. Um, uh, it's it's time to make sure that you're lean, mean, and and focused, rather than just going along how we've been for the last 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And the the markets are in turmoil, people are in turmoil, um, but there are still good opportunities out there, as we talked about before. You know, if you're a farmer, have a look at how you can change your situation. If you're a truck driver or, or a, a Sparky or something like that, have a look at how you can change. You know, I, I know of, just by being involved in the tiny home community, I know of builders and that sort of stuff that are going to ex- extend their life by now working in the tiny home space or the modular building space because they're not working in, in shitty conditions, right? They're, they're working in factories. And, and you can prolong what you do working in factory env- environments. Um, plus, a lot of them don't start at four in the morning anymore. They start at eight. Yeah. So they're getting a better family balance and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and and um, so, yeah, no, it's, um, it's just trying to, to evaluate and make one or two small actions. You know, join, join us at GWC and get a bit of education. Um, reach out to us to, to have some one-on-one mentoring or, or do a one-on-one session or something like that um, and make that first change. I'm reaching yeah. out to my mentors more than ever now uh, with all the, the stuff that's going on in my world 
So hmm. the other thing a lot of people have to remember during the Great Depression, uh, I don't know if it's still relevant to today, but there was more millionaires created during the Great Depression than any other time. Yeah. So the money is still there. It's just changing hands. It's not the big people that have got the money now. It's going to elsewhere. And you've just got to be prepared to jump on the opportunity when it presents itself to you. And if you don't have that knowledge and that education, you can't do it. So um, if for the people at home... A lot of the smart money is already fully fully in the market. Mm. Right? They're fully in. Yep. They're full tilt in. So if you do need to get in contact with us, obviously hit up support at globalwealthclub.com. Uh, also social media pages, Facebook pages. If you leave a comment there, they are being monitored 24 hours, or well, not 24 hours a day, but they are monitored. Someone will get back to you within 24 hours. Um, so just reach out um, and just talk to the team. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, guys. All right. I think that's it. So everyone, thanks for attending and we'll talk soon. 